Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazor. And today, welcome to one of the most long-awaited episodes that we have been wanting to do, and that is the Bat-Cats preview for the upcoming season, the 2024 season, after a season that famously did not go as uh, Connor and I both believed and wanted it to, with the Bat-Cats getting screwed out of the NCAA tournament, including a team that they swept getting in over them as an at-large team. I just, I'm still bitter about it just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, because going into the year, we didn't really know what to expect because we just we just didn't know what we had. Tyson Neighbors was a complete like unknown at that point as yeah. well. Like we had seen him pitch and knew he like had some talent, but we didn't really have a whole lot to base any major expectations off of. We liked Kalen Culpepper a lot, um, but most of most of the year we were just kind of or going into the year at least we just didn't really know what to expect. And we got off to that hot start and just couldn't quite do enough to get into the tournament, uh, which we, I think we've made the necessary adjustments to put ourselves in a really good spot preseason to play our way into the tournament. Yeah, and the team's been receiving a lot of preseason hype with D1 Baseball ranking them as the 24th best team in the country. Sometimes you're getting even higher depending on what metrics you're looking at. But, you know, we're here to just preview what the entire team looks like, you know, talk about perhaps why the hype has been growing as quickly as it has. And we're just going to go ahead and start off with the pitchers. Of course, we're going to go through positionally. So we're just going to start off with the pitchers because pitching, I think, was the biggest question mark last year. And in the offseason, you and I believe that it was going to be the biggest question mark about this team more generally. And granted, a few of those things change, and we can start by discussing the number one day one starter for K-State, and that is Owen Borama, who apparently has bulked up and added a few miles per hour, but we thought he was gone. We thought he was out of eligibility. Yeah, I did not think he could come back, and so when I saw it was announced he was coming back, that was absolutely massive, because it's so massive to, to keep a day one starter as good as Owen Borama was. Um, and it um, is great to keep a, a guy that was just kind of dominant at times uh, throughout conference play. And uh, it's also notable that he, like you said, uh, added uh, some additional muscle and allegedly has added a few ticks uh, to his fastball as well to where he's hopefully pushing 90 now because that was really the only thing he didn't have in his game last year was just velocity because his placement was generally great and he had a nice bag of tricks they could go to. Uh, just didn't really have the velocity there. Although he is one of those pitchers where he gets so far out in front of it uh, that it almost doesn't matter. Yeah, it almost doesn't matter. Where there's there's a select few pitchers that can kind of get away with that, and he's one of them. Having uh, such long arms and such a, a huge frame is helpful with that because he's six foot five and all of it. But getting your number one starter back is massive because that was not something that we expected. So that that's a huge plus already for this pitching staff. Yeah, especially because he was making waves as one of the better pitchers in the Big 12 last year, both in terms of strikeouts, efficiency, and eating innings, which 
you could say a lot of things about Owen Borma. Probably the best part about his game is that you don't have to worry all that much about your bullpen on days that he's in because he's willing and able to go deep into games. Yeah, he very routinely was going 5-6 and even 7. Uh, that's just so valuable, especially last year because we did just not have a very deep bullpen, and that was our consistent huge issue was we had uh, at least a couple of starters that at times could give us good games, and then we had Tyson Neighbors at the end, but we didn't really have a lot of guys that were consistent in the in-between. And Owen Borma... Uh, getting back to have somebody that can really get you five to six on any given night, that's awesome. That's a huge plus for this uh, this pitching staff. And I'm hopeful that uh, we can expect a lot from Owen Borma this year. His ERA ended up being a little high, uh, a bit higher than I thought it was, honestly. But I think some of that may have just been... Uh, finishing the season not as strong, but throughout most of the year, he was quite good. Uh, nearly hit uh, 100 strikeouts on the year as well with 95. Uh, really, really good job, honestly, from, from Borma and uh, pitching uh, by far the most innings uh, on the team last year as well. Just, he's everything that you want out of a, 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 day, a day one starter, your Friday night guy. Uh, he's he's just really really quality. Uh, there's not much more you can ask for from him, especially from somebody that he was a D three transfer. We didn't really know how he translate, and he's he has ended up really working out. Yeah, but the second name in the rotation, which granted we don't know the official rotation or how it's going to pan out, but we can make a few educated guesses based off of things that we've been hearing through the tea leaves, and it appears the day two starter will be none other than Ty Rule, the former number one setup guy, not number one reliever, that's Tyson Neighbors, but Ty Rule came in, had two starts towards the back end of the year, one of which was in the Big 12 tournament, where he had the flu up against Texas, and then he proceeded to have a Ty Rule flu game, quite famously, and... He's worked his way into the rotation after being an up-and-down reliever, 531 ERA last year. But he seemed to get significantly better the moment that he entered the rotation. So he could be just one of those guys where getting that sort of rhythm will be very, very helpful for him. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, um, is the structure will probably help Tyrell. Because uh, he did... Um, of course, famously have that flu game um, against, I believe it was Texas. It was Texas. Uh, where he was just lights out on the mound. It was uh, He was a guy that we were really hoping to see a lot of uh, and a lot of good from uh, going into the season last year. And he had a mostly disappointing season, but really figured it out at the end of the year, uh, especially once he was kind of getting to that starting role. And once he got into that starting role, he became quite impressive, honestly. There was a lot to like about what Tyrell did to end the year. Um, and he He's an interesting pitcher. He has good stuff. It just wasn't working. Because uh, there's sometimes... I mean, there's pitchers where you can look at them and say they just don't have it. Tyrell is someone that you look at and you more scratch your head and wonder why it doesn't work better mm-hmm. than it does. 
and it seemed like he kind of started to put everything together by the end of the year because he had some pretty bad relief appearances last year, but maybe getting to the starting rotation could be just what the doctor ordered for Tyrell because, again, he had that great pitching performance against Texas in the Big 12 tournament and had one other start at some point during the year, which I, I can't remember when that was. It was like the week before that happened. <laughs> then, yeah, then I think you're probably right, but Tyrell... Really, he, he's um, been around for a while at this point. He's, he's an upperclassman now, which is, is kind of weird to think about because he's uh, just, it feels like he's only just got here. But he, he's really been, he's quite experienced at this point. And he's uh, uh, really earned his keep at this point. And I, I'm happy that he's sticking around and uh, giving it another shot. Because uh, I, I think that if it comes together for him, I think he we could really be in for a big year for Tyrule. Yeah, I agree. Now, the third name is probably the one that has the most question marks about it. I don't even think the third name is fully carved out in stone within the building. But the name that we've been hearing the most about would be Jacob Frost, who's a JUCO transfer, another left-handed pitcher. So our weekend starters will go left, right, left, which is, I believe there was a time where we went right, 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 and last year was left, right, right. So, well, we didn't have a consistent day three starter then either. But (laughs) Jacob Frost is a JUCO transfer from Wabash College or Wabash Valley College, won two national titles there. Um, uh, or had two deep runs in the uh, national tournament for the JUCO ranks. Ended up going 13-4, and four, had some saves, 3.79 ERA, pitched 123.1 innings with 160 total strikeouts. So at the JUCO level, he was very productive, and he was also an innings eater, where he has you know 123.1 innings pitched and 160 strikeouts. So that's a very, very good ratio there. And it's one of those guys where you do always, you always are kind of speculating about how the Juco guys are going to end up translating. It's very similar to Owen Borama's story coming from D3. It's like, well, how much of his game is going to translate? With Borama, it appears to work out quite well. Uh, Frost, I think, is probably, I think his game will translate pretty well. Um especially given the high strikeout rate that he had at Wabash Valley. Yeah, and and that's the common theme with the Juco guys that we got at Pitcher, is they all have wildly high uh, K rates or strikeout rates. Uh, Those are all, it's clear that we have found a type at Pitcher, and we uh, are wanting guys that we can rely on to get big strikeouts, because we know that we play half of our games in a very batter-friendly park, and we can't afford to have pitchers that are letting every other ball uh, go in the air because on the wrong day with the wrong wind, uh, half, of, yeah, half of the fly balls that go up are going to somehow find their way out of the park. So getting guys that can reliably uh, get you strikeouts when you need them that that's going to be really valuable and having somebody with that deep playoff experience uh, at the junior college ranks um, that could potentially be valuable for k-state if they end up making the postseason this year having 
Obviously, it's not directly translatable, but having somebody with some experience going deep in a season uh, to be on our roster, that, that, could, that could potentially be really valuable. So I, I'm pretty happy with the addition of Jacob Frost, although, again, this day three guy could really be anyone. I feel much more confident in calling Borma and Rule day one and two. I think it's unquestioned Borma will be day one. Rule's probably like 90 to 95% day two day guy. Day two guy. But there's probably plenty of names that we could look at to be the day three guy. I mean, Basin Bus was the day three guy at times last year, and he he was fairly decent. I uh, struggled a little more in conference play, but he finished with a 378 ERA and had 42 strikeouts and 18 walks. Uh, so pretty solid for a true freshman, all things considered, with a 1.38 whip. Although a lot of his dominance was more in the uh, non-conference. Uh, there were a few times in conference play where he really kind of get lit up, uh, particularly against Oklahoma State. Uh, but granted, none of our pitchers were really doing that well against Oklahoma State last no, year. No one was doing well against them. But... Before we get into the other names, such as weekday starters and bullpen guys, here's a quick word from today's sponsor. And welcome back to the Batcats preview brought to you by the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Now we're just going to go into the potential weekday starting names before we get into the bullpen. We already talked about one just before the break, and that was Mason Buss, who got significant action last year. There are a few other names to know. The big one that I want to focus in on is Andrew Evans from Olathe, Kansas. And it's not because he's an Olathe product. He's 6'5", 245, and absolutely dominated his summer league. I think he had an ERA in the ones. Uh, Never mind. But he had 401 ERA in 24.2 innings pitched. And was generally pretty solid top to bottom in the Futures League up in New Britain. The New Britain Bs of the Futures League, I should say. And he was he did end up making the League All-Star game. So he made some very, very good headwind for a young guy coming out of, you know, after making one six appearances and one total start. He's someone that I would keep an eye on to perhaps maybe break out, maybe be the weekend starter or a weekday starter. The other name is one that we've sort of been higher and lower on, and that's Jack Wentworth. Jack, we're not sure top to bottom what Jack is at this point. We remember him being constantly touted as this insanely good prospect, but injuries got to him, so... We don't know what he'll be. Uh, If he gets back to his dominant form that he had in high school, that's a really, really high upside guy who could even push into the rotation on weekends. If he's what we've seen before, he's probably a middle-of-the-pack bullpen guy. Yeah, Wentworth was uh, very highly regarded out of high school. I believe he was a top 500 prospect nationally. I think he may have even been drafted and uh, came to K-State, and just before his would have been true freshman season started, he uh, uh, hurt his uh, throwing arm and had to get Tommy John, and that is just a really, really, really difficult injury to come back from as a pitcher. Uh, So last year as a redshirt freshman was not great from Jackson Wentworth. He started the year as the number three 
uh, starter, but just didn't really have a very good season. Uh, an 8.72 ERA, a 1.91 uh, WHIP, uh, 27 strikeouts and to 11 walks. Uh, just it just wasn't his year, and uh, I think a lot of that is that it's just really really difficult to come back from a uh, a surgery like Tommy John, and if uh, it, it is entirely possible that he getting this offseason and kind of shutting down his season a little early, that could really change things for him. Because out of high school, he was a high velo guy uh, with a ton of upside. And uh, he hopefully is able to put everything back together. Uh, I, I have not completely lost faith in Jackson Wentworth because we've only seen his redshirt freshman year. The only reason it was as disappointing as it was is just because of his recruiting rankings and stuff like that. So it's not um, – so, you know, the curtains haven't closed on Jackson Wentworth's career. He's only a redshirt sophomore right now, and uh, he could absolutely have a big turnaround and maybe even start thriving as a bullpen guy. Uh, but it remains to be seen because, again, there's just – there's not as much insider information to draw from from baseball we only know so much uh but jack wentworth is someone that if he can really put it together and get back to his pre-injury form uh, that could be huge for this k-state lineup yeah so i think i don't think that's all of the guys who could make pushes to be the weekday starter but do kind of want to move in to the relievers and uh, i'll let you take the honors of the the biggest relievers and other names that you think are going to be pushing for those prime roles. Yeah, well, Tyson Neighbors is, of course, the the big one. Uh, he's the closer. He's the All-American. Uh, he is the preseason Big 12 pitcher of the year as a reliever, which is almost unheard of. Uh, but he was nothing short of completely dominant last year as a true sophomore. Uh, he's going to likely be the highest-drafted college reliever in the upcoming MLB draft. I had a 1.85 ERA last year, uh, 0.78 WHIP, which is incredible. Uh, 86 strikeouts, just 16 walks. Uh, there were a few times where, when he uh, had a little bit of a cushion, that his fastball velocity was pushing almost 100, and he he brings so much uh, in terms of uh, um, pitching diversity. Uh, he has uh, an incredible uh, hammer curve, I think. And uh, great slider. Uh, you know more about uh, pitch types than I do, uh, but he he brings a lot. He has a lot of tools in his toolbox, and all of them are effective. Yeah, he is a hammer curve, but his go-to pitch is his slider, and it's one of those sliders that keeps the high-end velocity. Like it's consistently low 90s slider, and it just falls off the table. And there's Whenever you get sliders like that, there's almost nothing that you as a batter can do, especially if you have to adjust for a fastball that rises like his does. Because a lot of fastballs follow a more traditional arc, you know? His doesn't. His literally rises. <laughs> so you you have to sort of pick what you're getting with Tyson Neighbors. And if you guess wrong, you don't stand a chance. No. I mean, he was just the epitome of dominance last year and there's no reason to expect anything different from Tyson Neighbors this year uh, he made 25 appearances uh, he had 11 saves uh, he was just incredible 
uh, all of last season. Uh, 48 and two-thirds innings. Uh, there's a reason that he pitched as much as he did, and that's because he was far and away the best reliever uh, the K-State had. Uh, it was just was not particularly close. He was second on the team with strikeouts with 86, and he was a reliever. Yeah, and he he did that. Uh, he got 86 in uh, a little over innings. yeah a little over half the time that Borma got 95, uh, and that's not a slight at Borma. <laughs> that is just a Tyson Neighbors is that good, uh, sort of thing. Uh, so if you have the chance, you should make every opportunity you can to watch Tyson Neighbors in a Backhats uniform because it is not every day that uh, we get to see someone that dominant come through Toyton Family Stadium because. He, he is really, really good and should be an MLB pitcher uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, maybe he'll follow a similar trajectory as uh, Jordan Wicks. And relievers as dominant as neighbors, they sometimes find themselves getting drafted by uh, um, uh, World Series contenders and uh, get called up for deep playoff runs. Yeah, like September playoff call-ups. Yeah, so it's... Uh, I'm not saying he's going to do that, but he he fits the mold of someone that may fall into that that park. And on top of it all, he's a, uh, a I'll call him bloodthirsty competitor. He's <laughs> uh, he's absolutely relentless uh, on the mound. Uh, so there there's just so much to like about him. He's incredibly entertaining, and you can all you can do is laugh sometimes when you watch him pitch. Yeah. There are any other major names that you want to to highlight? I know there are a few new names, but there's there's one name in particular that I'm thinking of for a returner from the previous year. Yeah, uh, and I think I'm with you on this. And that's uh, left-handed pitcher Cole Weisenbaker. Uh, played some last year. He made 15 relief appearances uh, and started off the year pretty well. We kind of trailed off once we hit conference play. Uh, um, well, he only had an 8.5 ERA, which is not the best, um, but he does have a lot of upside as a, a guy with a, an awkward arm angle, uh, which in college baseball, that can take you a really long way. Uh, if you, if you can, uh, uh, make use of that arm angle, uh, then you, you could be, uh, something special, but Cole Weisenbaker, the summer league as well, I uh, pitched 18, the third innings. Uh, the New England Collegiate League had a, a 196 uh, ERA uh, and then had 16 strikeouts against nine walks. So, again, needs to work on his control a little bit. That's something that is uh, uh, going back to last year. But he is somebody that I, I think could be really effective in certain situations. And if he works on his control and gets better at uh, baiting batters, then he's somebody that I think we could see really be kind of a bridge pitcher and be someone to take up an inning before we throw in Tyson Neighbors just to try and keep Neighbors' uh, innings down. Because, uh, I mean, we sure, we can throw him out there. He could probably dominate for three innings in a row. But if we're planning to make the postseason, which we should be, uh, then we should want to be keeping Tyson's pitch count as low as possible during the regular season. And Cole Weisenbaker is someone that could absolutely help with that. Yeah, but there are also a, a lot of new names, a lot of JUCO guys, one of which you saw live and has been described as one of the guys with the funkiest arm angles in the Big 12. Yeah, uh, and that's Preston Martinez, uh, 6'1", um, out of uh, Dyersburg State Community College. Uh, he's a righty, uh, and uh, 
last year had a 2.59 ERA uh, and had 35 strikeouts and 24 and a third. Uh, over his time in uh, community college, uh, he made 49 appearances and pitched 54 innings and had 77 strikeouts. Uh, but uh, he had a very, very strange delivery that I could not wrap my head around. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how it worked, um, but the ball was getting over the plate, so more power to him, I guess. But he he certainly... Uh, had a very interesting delivery, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, tr- I took a video of it. I'm trying to find it because he just like he said it was his plant leg, which is such in such a strange position. Yeah, he. We have a bunch of guys with really funky angles. Preston Martinez, I think, will just be one of them. But as long as we can get more guys with funky angles, it almost doesn't matter because, you know, that's, you said it earlier, that's a killer in college. <laughs> Just ask um, whatever the guy who was throwing 78 against us in Stonehill. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, I, I think Pete Hughes has kind of seen the effectiveness of those guys with the, the wacky arm angles, especially against our lineup, and is saying, well, we'll just try that ourselves. And Preston Martinez was pretty effective in the limited action that we saw in um, our scrimmage against, it was Iowa Western, I think, this past fall. But he's somebody I think we could see a bit of uh, this upcoming year. And there's a a few other Juco guys as well. Uh, We we already mentioned uh, Jacob Frost as a starter, but there's uh, Sam Roberts uh, as uh, um, another Juco transfer um, I liked what I saw from him, and he had really good numbers, too. Uh, in 2023, uh, he had a 135 ERA in 20 innings pitched uh, and had a K rate of 13.5 strikeouts per nine innings, uh, which is exactly what we're looking for. Uh, he's um, kind of similar build. I can't remember if he had a weird arm angle or not. It hardly matters if he's pitching as effectively as, uh, as he is, but... He was another person that I thought was 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 pretty interesting, um, but at the end of the day, we really threw a lot of darts at the board with our uh, transfer pitchers. A guy like Josh Wintrib uh, was somebody that I think maybe could be a bit of a sleeper uh, going into this year. Um, he had a uh, five years at Augustana College, which I think is a D three. It is, and he uh, went to. Uh, 16 and 5, uh, pitched 175 innings, uh, 288 ERA, and then had 223 strikeouts uh, in his time at Augustana. Uh, so he really uh, uh, was quite dominant at times. And then in 2022, uh, that his uh, um, career high in appearances, he made 15, had a 271 ERA, and 96 strikeouts that year. Uh, and then last year, uh, he went uh, with a 2.52 ERA and struck out 107 uh, and walked just 11. And opponents only hit 189 against him. So he's somebody that if it trans- if the game translates from D3 for him, uh, like it did for Owen Borma, then he's someone that could be a sleeper uh, going into this season that we've not really heard a lot of, but the stats really pop off the page with him. Uh, like 107 strikeouts to 11 walks in a season at any level is kind of nuts. Yeah, it's nuts. So uh, he's somebody that uh, we should maybe keep an eye on going into this year. Yeah. 
I think that pretty much does it for pitching. Now we can move into the position players, starting off with catchers. And they're a, the, the big name here is going to be Rafael Pelletier, who did end up staying over the summer and working out. Um, and first off, he speaks three languages, which is just a fun fact. It's just cool. But he was also one of the better defensive catchers in the league, which we've had a lot of good luck in terms of defensive catchers with Justin Mitchell and the like. And although Justin Mitchell moved slightly faster than uh, Erosion, <laughs> Justin Mitchell is still a very good defensive catcher. And Rafael Pelletier sort of follows in that mold. And he's probably the projected starter. Yeah, I, I don't think it should be a contest, um, honestly. Pelletier was fantastic last year as a um, defensive catcher. Uh, his bat went cold at times, but he did have some power to his game uh, intermittently. If he can get his batting average up from a 2.57 to maybe like a 2.8, I would be pretty happy with that. And I'd be especially happy if he could just get a bit more consistent. And I also would really like if one of our backup guys uh, could step up uh, defensively. So that way we can give Pelletier a few more days off because he was the definition of an everyday starter. And that's why he had to stay in Manhattan uh, just to recover because he was spending so much time behind the plate uh, that I imagine it was really taking a toll on him. Um, But Pelletier was one of, if not the best defensive catchers in the entire Big 12 last year. And I expect that to be the same uh, this year. But we have a very deep uh, catcher room right now. Uh, I, there's honestly five guys here that I would be comfortable seeing in some fashion, uh, whether it be at catcher or DH or elsewhere. Uh, there, there are, there's not a single player in the catcher room that I am like, uncomfortable seeing on the field. Uh, granted, one of them is mostly projection uh, with the freshman, but uh, there, there's a lot to like in this room. Yeah. Kane Phillips and Jane Loebliner were both pieces last year. Jane Loebliner may be in the contention for being a... Uh, he may be switching off with Kyan Lotus for who gets the DH job. But, of course, you also have Mason Schwalbach, who is a transfer from McHenry College. He's a catcher-slash-first baseman. Probably another situation where he's fighting with Lotus, probably for first base, because I believe Lotus is first-based corner, corner outfield positions. But the one that you were specifically mentioning was Nick English, who's a true freshman from Olathe, who has been getting quite a bit of hype. Yeah, uh, he is a a very highly regarded uh, prospect out of high school. He, uh, Nick English, was a unperfect game. I grade him a nine. He was a top five hundred prospect. He was the number eight prospect in the state of Kansas and the top catcher in the state. Uh, one thing. Uh, that sticks out to me is the fact that his name is getting thrown in these conversations already. Uh, he It's very early for him to kind of already be in this uh, uh, this uh, realm of, of getting um, run. Uh, it's not, it's kind of getting more and more rare to see freshmen play early um, in college baseball. Uh, so when you see a guy play early, it, it means something. Uh, I mean, we saw Kalen Culpepper start as a freshman, and there was a reason for that. Nick Goodwin did too. Um, but uh, Nick English, another thing about him is that he's really fast uh, for a catcher. He um, had, was over, he was in the 90th percentile for a 60-yard split. 
uh, for players in this class. So that includes outfielders and infielders and everybody. Everyone. And he's a catcher. So uh, he's listed as catcher slash outfield right now. So MJ Melendez. Yeah, so he's pretty much just MJ Melendez. But he brings a ton of power as well. He's somebody that I think we should keep our eye on as uh, making a major impact this year because uh, he he's really quality, especially for a younger guy. Uh, so I think that we could maybe uh, see a little bit of Nick English this year, but I, I like all the guys in this catcher room. Yeah. Then in terms of starting infielders, we probably, we can start with the two biggest ones and then get into the more projective ones. One is the guy who's listed as an infielder because he could probably play anywhere, but he'll probably slide into shortstop, and that is who was the best defensive third baseman maybe in college baseball last year, and that's Kalen Culpepper. Hopefully he has a season where he stays healthy for once. That was me knocking on wood. But when he's on the field, he may, be one, he may genuinely be the best pure baseball player on the team. His bat speed is nuts. His arm is nuts. His ability to field and consistency are both nuts. He has plus speed. He there's it got to a point where you and I were calling him the most underrated athlete in all of K State last year. Now, funnily enough, he probably doesn't have that title this year. That's someone else on this team. But Kalen Culpepper, I don't think I can overstate how good Kalen Culpepper is. Yeah, um, I think that's a great way to put it because he was fantastic last year. He just missed some time uh, with a hand injury. But uh, when he was on the field uh, for most of the back half of the season, he was just absolutely dominant defensively and was a plus at the plate as well. It brings some great power. And he also competed uh, with uh, Team USA uh, this past summer Tyson uh, with Tyson Neighbors, which is something we forgot to bring up with Neighbors. Um, but um, Culpepper no, didn't just uh, play for Team USA. He was dominant for Team USA. Uh, he uh, uh, was really great uh, for Team USA. Uh, he and Neighbors were both getting a ton of run. Uh, and, he, of course, he's got a long list of accolades. Uh, and, I mean, this summer for uh, uh, Team USA, he had 471. And added two triples, three home runs, seven RBIs. He had nine starts. He slugged 853 uh, and uh, had a a 5.26 on base percentage, uh, which is kind of unbelievable. And then he went and played in the Cape Cod League and uh, hit 270 and uh, was was great there as well. He uh, there there's not much else to to really say about him um, other than. He will certainly be drafted this upcoming year. He may be a first-round pick this upcoming year in the MLB draft if he stays healthy and uh, is able to perform to the best of his abilities. Uh, But he is one of the most gifted um, baseball players to come through K-State in a long time. Uh, And he's another person that's just a ton of fun to watch. Yeah. But now we have to talk about the person who has seemingly stolen the title of most underrated athlete at K-State, and that's Brady Day. A lot of people aren't talking about Brady Day or didn't talk about Brady Day. He led the team in average last year, and it wasn't particularly close. He batted 356 last year, and not only did he bat 356, 
he walked 49 times compared to 22 strikeouts. There were times where I was looking at the zone, and if the umpire didn't agree with Brady Day, I knew that the umpire was wrong. Brady Day is not only probably, we, we just called Claylon Culpepper the best pure baseball player. Brady Day might be the best pure hitter on the team, at least in terms of average. And he's a solid enough defender at second base as well. But yeah, he he might have taken the title from Kalen Culpepper as most underrated, and it's just because Kalen Culpepper is now properly rated. Yeah, and Brady Day, uh, last year, he was just so consistent throughout the year because he started the year great uh, with his uh, walk-to-strikeout ratio, so I figured sure, surely this is going to equalize over time, and it really didn't. He continued to see the ball really, really well. Uh, he's not a power hitter by trade. He only had three home runs, uh, but he had 69 hits on the year, and he just, and to, to quote a uh, a fantastic baseball movie, he gets on base. He gets on base. What does he do? He gets on base. That's all he does. Uh, he um, had an um, on-base percentage of just under 50%, a, a .492. Uh, he got hit by seven pitches as well. Uh, which was among the top of the team. Kalen Culpepper will always take that honor, though. Um, but this was just great, great stuff from Brady Day. I do think his defense um, is a little bit underrated. Um, he, he did have a few major mishaps, but his thing is that a lot of times those came in big moments. But Brady Day, he's just so quality at the plate. He's such a consistent presence at the plate. And it's massive to just have someone that doesn't strike out a lot, uh, like Brady Day. He uh, is just consistently putting the ball in play. I mean, only 22 strikeouts on the year is pretty fantastic. And uh, on top of that, uh, only ground into a double play once uh, the entire year, which is pretty great. And uh, that's something that uh, some players aren't as good at. But that honestly is a bit of a skill in and of itself. Um, but Brady Day... Uh, he was drafted as well uh, this past summer by the Red Sox. Braves. And, uh, the Braves. Braves. And he uh, uh, elected to return to K-State uh, instead, uh, which uh, um, is huge. It's absolutely massive uh, for us. So I'm very happy that Brady Day is here. I imagine this is probably our last year of Brady Day. Probably. Um, but he he is It's so important to have a guy uh, like him on this roster has so much experience and is such a consistent hitter. Yeah. Then the corners are sort of where the question marks begin because they're, again, we've heard a few names. We've already mentioned Kyan Lotus, so we'll start with him. Kyan Lotus just hits Kyan Lodongs. That's just what he does. Like, he, yeah, he only batted 194 last year, but consider the fact that he had a 622 OPS, 306 slugging. You know, none of these numbers like pop out at you. But then you watch him play, and every time that he makes contact with the ball, the ball is dead. The ball dies. And I don't mean as in, oh, he like, warning track power. No, I mean that he's ripping the cover off the damn ball. <laughs> yeah, and the big reason that uh, Lotus's uh, numbers aren't better is because he really, really struggled to start the year. Yeah. He was a true freshman, I believe, last year. I had a redshirt freshman. I think he was a redshirt freshman. Uh, but we threw him into the starting lineup uh, to begin the year, and he uh, uh, really just wasn't quite ready yet. 
and uh, that was obvious. So we uh, let him. Uh, so we put him back on the bench, and then later, once conference plays started, he started to come back, and he hit some massive home runs uh, and had some great opposite field power as well. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, because he, he had the famous uh oh shot. <laughs> yeah, he had some great hits in that KU game that uh, had like a football score. He um, had an opposite field home run against maybe TCU, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, he is somebody that you can look at in the box and tell that the raw talent is there, and he is, and it is coming together at times for him. But if he just gets a bit more consistent, he's going to be a weapon uh, on the plate. Yeah. The other two major transfers, and that's not to disrespect anyone else who transferred in, but the other two major ones are Daniel Rivera from Southern New Hampshire and then David Bishop, the former TCU player. We've had some decent luck with former TCU players like Cole Johnson, but uh, starting off with Daniel Rivera from New Hampshire probably... Settles in. You look at his size, 5'10", so he's probably not going to be a first baseman. Probably slots into second or third base pretty well. If I had to guess, I would pencil him in as our day one third baseman. Because uh, I think Brady Day's going to hold down second base just fine. Um, but I, I can absolutely see Daniel Rivera being um, our third baseman. Uh, I think that uh, he brings a lot of talent to the table. Uh, he... Um, hit 321 uh, with 434 slugging and 519 on base uh, in his time at Southern New Hampshire. He had 22 home runs and 44 doubles. He had 90 RBI. Uh, generally was really great. He was uh, um, first team all-conference uh, his uh, final season, I believe, and uh, was uh, just generally really good. And as I, I don't have his stolen base numbers in front of me, but I seem to recall him having really good stolen base numbers as well. So I'm uh, really looking forward to seeing what Daniel Rivera uh, brings because it's been mainly Kalen Culpepper the last couple of seasons, and before that it was Cam Thompson. So we've generally had some really consistent play at third base. Uh, so there's not been a lot of turnover there. Uh, but this time it's for a good reason because we have – our guy at third base who's so good that he's we're moving him back to his natural position of shortstop finally. So I imagine that's only going to help him. Uh, but Rivera, he's just a one-year guy, but I, I like uh, the idea of a stopgap here just to uh, to fill the gap and let a few younger guys uh, grow a little more. Yeah. Then you have David Bishop, who, if that name sounds familiar, uh, it should because – I remember him playing against K-State his freshman year, and he was a member of the Big 12 all-freshman team in his true freshman season before he ended up getting injured slash overtaken, probably just injured at TCU. But getting a former all-Big 12 all-freshman team member is very good, especially when I distinctly remembered his name whenever he transferred here, and it wasn't positive memories. (laughs) But now he's here, probably to make positive memories. Again, you look at his size, 6'3", 210. That's a stereotypical first baseman. So I would imagine he probably slots in as a, in a dogfight with both uh, Schwabach, the, or, uh, yeah, Schwabach and Lotus for first base. I'd say Bishop is probably the favorite to win the job, though. Yeah, he... Uh, um, I believe the story with him is that he did um, deal with injuries, for a lot of his uh, sophomore campaign at TCU, and that was why we saw a decline in play. 
uh, but he had a really good freshman season uh, at TCU, um, hitting 245 over his career there, but uh, had a much more impressive uh, 2022 as opposed to 2023. Because um, uh, uh, in 23, he just wasn't able to um, do everything he had been able to do um, in the past, but he's uh, uh, hyper talented, really athletic, and somebody that. I, I think if he doesn't start this year, we're going to find something for him to do next year because we're probably going to have quite a bit of turnover next year. Um, but I, I really like David Bishop. I don't have as much to say about him uh, just because I didn't see as much of him uh, in the one uh, fall game I was able to get to. Um, but I, I like his potential a lot. Yeah. So that's the major infield names. Now we can start talking about the outfielders, starting with the returners. I think the big returner is Brendan Jones, Brejo, because we always have to have some sort of outfielder whose last name starts with a Joe, so we can do the blank Joe joke. Then the lefty-lefty center fielder, plus, plus, plus defensive center fielder with amazing speed. That's pretty much Brendan Jones's game. Stereotypical leadoff guy. Yeah. Um, the only thing uh, that he really struggled with last year was that his strikeout rate was very high for a leadoff guy. But he also brought an unusual amount of power uh, for someone with his frame. He's only 5'10", 180-ish, uh, but he had some huge hits at times. He had a, uh, and at times was also really clutch in Big 12 play. But he, he's really good in the field. Of course, that goes without saying. But if he can just get a little bit more consistent at seeing uh, uh, with his uh, plate vision, then he's really going to become a great weapon for us. Because he ended up only hitting 238, uh, despite having an OPS of 787. Uh, he did draw a lot of walks at 45, but just kind of volatile there uh, with the uh, walk to strikeout um, numbers. Um, but um, at the plate, he does have a lot of upside. Uh, so I'm not super worried about him. I think I'm an offseason of work could really go a long way for Brendan Jones. Yeah. And then you have names like Carson Quick, who, again, is just another example of a pure baseball player. But I think the the big-time name here is Chuck Ingram, the transfer from Wichita State, probably the gem addition of the offseason for Pete Hughes' squad. He was ranked the number 55 overall transfer by D1 Baseball, was a two-time first-team AAC uh, conference pick, and he batted, in his last year there, he batted 362, 47, or 437, and then 579. (laughs) This is a legitimately great pickup for K-State, who's probably going to slot in to either left or right field, and he's just that big-time bat, that at times we were lacking last year. Because we had a lot of guys who could hit for power, such as Roberto Pena, who he would either hit a home run, a double, or strike out. But we lacked that consistent average hitter outside of Brady Day, and I think that's what Chuck Ingram brings to the team. Yeah, I mean, this was um, the the big-time pickup. I think he put it well. Uh, He is... uh, going to step in and immediately be one of the best players on this team. Uh, he's somebody that we were very worried about last summer, uh, potentially going pro. 
and somehow he did not do that. Uh, we're, I think we're really lucky uh, to have him on the team this year. And this is the sort of player that you, if you want to make postseason runs, you have to convince this uh, type of guy that's like a fringe, might go pro, might not. Uh, you have to convince that guy to stay. And we did that, and he, I think, could be a, a real difference maker this year. This, this is the kind of guy that could be the difference between making the postseason and winning uh, some postseason games because uh, he is a, uh, a professional talent. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And so I'm very, very excited to see what Chuck Ingram brings to the table this year. Because I, I think he probably starts in right field, if I had to guess. Um, maybe left. Uh, he'll be a, he'll, regardless, he's starting somewhere. Yeah, he, he's not on the bench. <laughs> but the other contenders for the other outfield spot, right next to Braden or Brendan Jones, not Braden, Braden Jones, Brendan Jones and Chuck Ingram's probably Caden Carl, Carson Quack. Maybe even Schwalbach, because Schwalbach can play multiple different positions. We don't know as much about Caden Carl. Uh, we do know about Carson Quick. Like we said, he's just a pure baseball player at that point. At this point, but that is the majority of the designated players. Unless you want to talk about anyone else in particular before we move into big picture stuff like the schedule. The only other name I may mention is a freshman pitcher, Blake Dean. Uh, he's somebody that got uh, some early work in the uh, fall game against Iowa Western, and I think that uh, he could potentially uh, be a bullpen guy uh, this year that we see a, a decent amount of. He's another um, highly graded recruit. Uh, he has a nine grade from Perfect Game, top 500 recruit, uh, and was the 55th ranked prospect in the state of georgia which doesn't sound like much but you have to keep in mind it's georgia yeah that georgia texas california are like the big yeah. three and then florida as well i mean like all those sunbelt uh states uh plus california i mean there's so much baseball being played there so getting a guy highly regarded out of a really great baseball state blake dean uh could uh really have a major impact this year if he's ready and he Honestly, looked pretty good uh, from what I was able to see of him. I don't know a ton about him, just with him being so young and there hasn't been as much buzz about him, but he's maybe somebody that could fly under the radar and be someone to watch this year. Yeah. The roster top to bottom is, without a doubt, the most complete that Pete Hughes has had. Last year, we had a couple of questions about, you know, mostly about pitching, but also there were several spots. I'd say like maybe half of the of the field that we didn't know a whole lot about. At the time, we didn't know much about Pelletier. Definitely didn't know anything about who was going to play first base. The only things that we knew was that we had Kalen Culpepper and Nick Goodwin. So we knew it was going to be a fun team because those are two really fun players. But we didn't know a whole whole lot else about the team. This year doesn't have that problem. This year has a lot of known commodities and a lot of good, consistently known qualities. The weakness, I think, in this team is still the unknowns in the bullpen, but it's gotten to the point where we threw enough darts just with Juco guys. At least two or three of them have to hit. Yeah, I think that was... We've talked about that a lot this offseason, how it seems that our Juco pitcher recruiting strategy was find guys with really high strikeout rates and, if possible, guys with weird deliveries and just throw darts at the board. And 
you're going to at least accidentally get a good pitcher. Um, but based on what I've seen, I think that we got um, probably a pretty solid hit rate on some of those guys. I think there's a few guys there that are really impressive. And again, we don't need you know incredible uh, all-American pitchers. We we need guys to eat a few innings now and then. And I think that there's a lot of guys in the bullpen that uh, could do that. And I I think that's still probably the biggest unknown right now. That and maybe who the left fielder is, but it's not the same unknowns that it was last year. Where last year we just genuinely didn't know what to expect going into the season. Uh, whether it be good or bad. This year, for the first time since Jordan Wicks was here, there's really some expectations uh, around this team. Uh, and I I think that they've scheduled for that as well. Yeah, because the schedule that they have is... The big knock against the schedule last year was that our RPI wasn't very good. So even though we won more games and, in fact, swept a team that ended up in the tournament as an at-large team in Oklahoma, our RPI wasn't high enough for them. We decided to rectify that issue. It came at a few costs, but our opening games are up against Cal, Boston College, and Georgetown, all three consistently above 500 teams down in the desert. Then the first... Massive game. I don't want to say that those first three are nothing games because all those are big. That's how you open your season. That's how you. That's how you prove the RPI people need to shut up. <laughs> but the first massive game is at Arizona State. That to me is a barometer game, and I know it's baseball. You can't really pick out one single game that say, "Oh, this is your this is your marquee game." I think the Arizona State game is a massive sort of prove it game. Because then you go into Holy Cross, UMass Lowell, and then you hit the big two. (laughs) In Tennessee and Clemson on back-to-back days in Tennessee and at Clemson. The the early games are going to be really important for this team. (laughs) Yeah. um, Scheduling Tennessee and Clemson uh, was massive uh, because... Uh, that those were that was just the sort of presence that we just didn't really have last year in our uh, uh, non-conference. But those are massive, massive uh, non-conference games. Uh, Tennessee has been a really quality program uh, the last few years, in particular. Uh, Clemson's been really good too. Uh, that uh, two-day stretch there's a, a huge opportunity and if nothing else is going to really help our RPI just by scheduling tougher games. Uh, Cause whether you like it or not, RPI really punishes you for even winning against bad teams. Yeah. And uh, that that's just the reality of the situation. And um, K-State has gone out of their way this year to generally do a better job scheduling. We still have a, f- a few less difficult games here and there. But one thing that you'll really notice is that with our home uh, midweek games, we don't have a lot of Tuesday, Wednesday, like short series games. We have a lot of one-offs against particular teams. Uh, And I think that's intentional because last year we really struggled in those midweek games because in the era of the transfer portal, those games are kind of equalizers because you teams don't really have the depth uh in case they, like high major teams don't have the depth to just dominate those midweek series like we're maybe used to 
so they can't just win two straight games against nobodies unless you're cream of the crop. Um, and to do that, you're basically saying you have five starter quality pitchers. And that's not something you can just bank on when you're scheduling nowadays. So uh, K-State really went out of its way to most of the time only be playing one midweek game with a few exceptions. One of those being the Tennessee Clemson stretch where I imagine we're going to be seeing some more weekend arms uh, than normal. And then we have a stretch against UConn and I think Northeastern. Yes. uh, Which I believe they both may have been uh, tournament teams last year. Uh, So... I mean, I, know, I think at least one of them was a tournament team last year. But for the most part, this is a really good schedule. And we made our complaints known. I think we handled the getting left out of the tournament about as well as we could in that we made our complaints known. We made our case for why we thought that they screwed up. But at the end of the day, you have to adjust for what is expected of you. And that's what we did, because it'd be one thing if we complained, but then continue to grovel and change nothing, because you're just asking for trouble with that. But K-State identified the issues and made active steps to solve them. Missouri State as well, getting a home series with them. Missouri State's a quality team. Uh, Just a couple years ago, they uh, were a regional squad. So uh, we got three home games with them, and then we're playing a return game uh, a few weeks later. Uh, just a one-off in the midweek. So this is a this is a good schedule. There's not a lot of gimmies on here, but that's K-State putting a lot of faith in its team uh, and expecting a lot and setting the bar high, which I'm pretty happy with. Yeah, I agree. But now all we have is one final question, and that is, what are our expectations for the team? I think... Anything less than making a regional is a disappointment because we. this is probably our best roster since 2013 when we made a Super Regional and we hosted. Um, I honestly don't know if it's close. We've had maybe better star power at times. Uh, like with Jordan Wicks, he may have been on his own a brighter star than uh, Neighbors and Cold Pepper, and that's no slight at them. Uh, but just having that day one ace be your number one guy is just a little different. Um, but this year's team has a ton of talent on it. Uh, there's only a couple of question marks, really, and one of them is who's going to be our like consistent power bat and who is going to step up in the bullpen. But even then, those are not as serious of questions as we've had in the past. So I think the conservative expectation should be to make the postseason. And frankly, I think this team's talented enough to win at least a few games in the postseason. And uh, I I think if we don't make the postseason, that's just a massive disappointment and a huge missed opportunity. Um, But I, I think on paper, this team has what it takes to make it to the postseason. And they're certainly hungry because uh, they... Um, I, I'd imagine they're 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 still pretty sore about being left out. Yeah. Here's what I'll say. I I think that this team is very similar to our preseason expectations for the women's basketball team. They are not going to be the women's basketball team. <laughs> I because even even adjusting for everything else, they it's not that level of talent where they're they're not number two in the country right now, but. 
it's one of the most talented teams that we've seen walk through Manhattan top to bottom in a very, very long time. You have the star power and you have the transfers who are coming in with a lot to prove. I, I agree with you. I think anything less than winning than winning some postseason games, making it there to begin with, I think it's a massive disappointment. Because the roster, the talent on this roster, there's absolutely no reason why this team can't make at least a decent run into the postseason. I'm not saying I expect them to automatically go to Omaha. I don't expect that. But I, I think that this is a team that could do that. I think the talent on the roster is good enough to. I think it's our best shot at making it to the College World Series since 2013 when we were just a couple of outs away from making it. Uh, this year I th- is not out of the realm of possibility for this team to be good enough to host or to make a Super Regional. Um, I think that this is... Potentially, I think this team could potentially make it to Omaha. Uh, some things will have to fall the right way. They'll have to avoid injuries. But I think if 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 K-State plays its cards right this year, I think that they could make a bit of a postseason run. Uh, but that remains to be seen because this team's gonna have to capitalize and it's gonna have to take advantages. Uh, it's gonna have to take advantage when it's given opportunities. Uh, there's not gonna be a lot of margin for error. Uh, when we we really get uh, down the brass tacks uh, throughout the course of the season. But this team has a lot of potential. I don't even think it's just potential, because I know one thing for certain, and this is the exact same note that I ended off on last year. This team's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, this team will definitely be fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to the pitching, especially, because I think we have a lot of fun pitchers on this team. And I think we're going to be a great defensive team as well. If this team can grasp the mental side of it and not make boneheaded mistakes like we've seen K-State baseball make in the past, even to just a lesser amount, that that could really go a long way. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts before we sign off? I am extremely excited for this baseball season. And I... I just can't wait. How crazy is it to be a, a K-State non-rev fan right now with women's basketball and the Batcats? I feel pretty spoiled right now. Uh, volleyball had a great season, too. Um, soccer. And then track and field is doing pretty well right now. Uh, but men's golf's coming up. Yeah. They're, even the ones that I follow more casually, I mean, you can't really sit and watch men's golf. Like, like you literally can't. They don't broadcast it. <laughs> I wouldn't anyways, even if they did, but, uh, no, there's, uh, there's a lot to be proud of right now in the K-State athletic department. And I'm hoping that the baseball team can continue that and they can, uh, really step up this year. Uh, Cause I, I think that they, they really could. I think that there could, there could be a lot of fun times ahead, uh, at Twain this year. I agree. So that pretty much wraps up the Batcats preview. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us just about anywhere at AggievilleACats. And if you want to email the show, we're AggievilleAllyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Baltasor, capital C, capital B. 
And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, as well as our supporter links, both of which are in our podcast and Twitter bios. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.